Good morning. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful cross. Turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter 2. The book of Esther, chapter 2, where we're going to be this morning. Uh, can everybody hear me? Good? Yeah. All right. Sweet. The book of Esther, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12 and go through verse 17. The Bible as a whole is really a story about the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Yeah. It's not a history book. It's not meant to tell you everything that took place on the earth from the beginning of time to to the end of time. It's not meant for that. It's meant to portray the redemption plan of God for mankind. That's it. So there are a lot of things that are not answered in the Bible. That people that want to refute the Bible will basically go directly to, well, it doesn't say anything about this because it's not about that. It's not about the history of the earth. It's about the redemption plan of mankind. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that's what it's about. Well, the redemption plan of mankind is centered up all in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. That's it. So therefore, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is all about Jesus Christ and what he would do at Calvary. If we do not interpret, study, read the Bible with that in view then you will misunderstand scripture, you will misinterpret scripture. And you will see things, you will see, you'll look at stories of the Bible, you'll look at everything and you'll just understand it and interpret it from just a human aspect, just a mental, a sin of what it says, a mind, okay, well this is just what my my mind says and understands that this is what it's talking about. And you'll misunderstand it. And then the worst part is that if you teach it, you'll teach it wrong. Because that's all you get out of it is just a, a mental human understanding of, okay, well, this is a story about this. Well, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Christ and the cross. So every story that you see, every book in the Bible is going to also speak about Christ and the work of Christ. And there are types and shadows everywhere in the Old Testament to point to Christ and the work of Christ and even what we as believers have in Christ. Yes. You can even see the work of the Holy Spirit in type and shadow in the Old Testament. Amen. But if we look at the Bible and look at a specific book and we don't we're not we don't look at it through the lens of Calvary then we'll misinterpret, misunderstand it. Whenever I began to see and learn the message of the cross, when I began to see what Christ had accomplished for me at Calvary and what that meant for me, not just for me, but in me and through me, then every book in the Old Testament that I used to think was boring (laughs) became not boring. Uh, lineages. I used to read lineage and it's just name after name after name and it's like, dude, what? This is boring. Who cares about this? 
But then when you began to see that everything had to do with the Messiah, the line of the Messiah, then every name becomes beautiful and important and valuable. Everything in the line of Christ becomes valuable. Every story becomes beautiful, like a, almost like a hidden treasure. Right. If you can just see the mystery, right. like Paul said, that's been hidden. If you can just see it. Yes. Yes. Then every book, every story becomes precious. Esther was one of those books that, that happened for me. Uh, one of the main things that you always hear about the book of Esther, which is true, it is absolutely true. The providence of God is a main theme of the book of Esther, and that is true. But if that's all you're looking for in the book of Esther, you're going to miss it. Yeah. The main theme in the book of Esther is Christ and the cross. The providence of God exists in it, but the greatest providence of God is Calvary. Right. Come on. Right. The providence of God that basically God would just turn it around. Right. Yeah. Right. That here's Satan with the. I'll just give you what the. For the book of Esther, normally, Satan had a plan, God turns it around. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Well, praise God if you just. At the providence of God in the book of Esther, it is. But the greatest providence of God is Calvary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Satan had a plan and God turned it around. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking for the providence of God, look to Calvary. Yeah. If you find Calvary in the book of Esther, you find the providence of God. But the greatest form of the providence of God that you will ever find is Calvary. <laughs> the whole the whole ministry the ministry of Christ while he was on earth was preaching the kingdom but he was preaching his person and the work that he would accomplish the whole emphasis was to have faith in who I am and what I'm going to do and we see the miracles and all those all of that was just evidence that he was who he said he was and that what he said he was going to do he was going to do and it would be enough Brother Bob said this to me, uh, not just to me, but in the class in, in, in Bible college, and it was something that just blew me away. Uh, every, every miracle that Christ performed, every healing, everything that he performed during his ministry was done on credit. The blood hadn't been shed yet. The blood of Jesus had not been shed yet. But yet, people were being healed. Raised from the dead. Everything done on credit. Now, if the blood of Jesus, the work that Christ would perform, is so powerful that even on credit, it's healing people. Right. Oh, man. Raising people from the dead. How much more now that it's finished? Right. It's not, no longer on credit. America, in America, is... Uh, Basically, 90% of people live on credit. They don't actually have the money. They live on credit. They're going to get the money, but it's still, you still live on credit. 
basically, Christ was healing and performing miracles all on credit that hadn't, a payment that hadn't been made yet. But it was going to be made. And it was such a powerful payment that even before it was made, it still had the same effect. Right. As if it was already paid. Right. Praise God. <coughs> I'm going to cough a few times. I'm so sorry. I've been fighting something for a week now. That is, it's just a mind-blowing thought that on the miracles that happened were all done on credit, basically. And now it's, it, is, it has been paid. The blood has been provided. So how much more now, if you need healing, how much more now can you have it? it it's done already. The money's in the bank account now. Yeah. You have it. You have access to it. Just by faith. Yeah. Praise God. Every, every wrong belief, every error, every wrong way, every wrong doctrine, every false religion, everything that is wrong is against Calvary. It will not line up with the person of Christ or the work of Christ. So every interpretation that we have of Scripture that is wrong is not going to line up with either the person of Christ or the work of Christ. Uh, we have untold false religions, untold false doctrines, and every single one, I guarantee you, every single one doesn't line up with either the person of Christ or the work of Christ. Right. Okay, well you have to be the, the way to be saved is saved by works. Well, that doesn't line up with Calvary. Right. So therefore, that must be wrong. Calvary is not wrong. Right. So if, if you believe that, then you're believing contrary to Calvary. Every, it doesn't, you can go down the line. Every false religion from, there's, the, uh, there's many. Right. We could sit here and... Each person could name one, guarantee you. But each one is not going to line up with Calvary. What does that mean? <laughs> God's plan, God's redemption plan for mankind is Christ and that we receive grace which is what we need yes we need grace yes how do you, how how do we overcome the sin problem grace mm -hmm. which just would it, to be sure that is the problem the, your problem is really not financial your problem is not other people. Sin is the problem of everything. Every single thing that is bad is a result of sin. What we, the problem that we have is racism, not sin. 
The problem that we have is, is hunger and greed, sin. No matter what it is, no matter what the fruit, the symptom, it's sin. That's the main problem. That's what God, that's what separated us from God, sin. God came to address sin because sin is was is not was is really the problem. The the real issue is we don't always believe that. We yes 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 it is sin, but it's also it's just sin. It all boils down to just sin. That's really the that's really the root of the problem is sin. Everything is just fruit of that problem. So God came to address sin because that's the problem. And in the book of Esther, it is a beautiful portrayal of the somewhat of the work of the Holy Spirit. And really God's plan of faith and grace. So, with that being said, let us... Go to Esther chapter 2, verse uh, 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Not necessarily going to focus on verse 12, but I'm going to start reading there. And we'll read through verse 17. <coughs> if you're there, say amen. 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 Now when every maid's turn was come to go in to King Ahasuerus, after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women. For so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the woman. Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the woman unto the king's house. In the evening she went, <clears throat> and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Shasgaz, what a weird name, the king's chamberlain which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she was called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, Haggai the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the woman, appointed. And Esther attained favor in the sight of all them who looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Let's go ahead and pray, and then let's get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your cross. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Father God. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, what you've provided for us, Lord God. Thank you for your loving kindness, Lord God, that's new every morning, and it lasts forever and ever, from generation to generation. Lord, we thank you for that. Father God, we just ask that you would have your way this morning, Lord. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Let the teacher come. Let the preacher come, Lord, the person of the Holy Spirit. And teach us your word, Father God. Minister to us. Give us revelation knowledge, Lord. Let there be a demonstration 
of the Holy Spirit in each heart, in each life, and in this place, Father God. For without the moving of the Spirit, we can do nothing and accomplish nothing, Father God. Make this real to us, Father God. Give us a greater understanding of the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the new covenant, Lord, your redemption plan. And we just say and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Okay, so King Ahasuerus, or it was, he would have been called Xerxes, which is another uh, name. He had a Persian name and a, and a Greek name. So King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, had a queen named Vashti, who he actually wanted her to come do something that wasn't right. It was immoral, and she refused. And But he's the king, so he has authority, and he decided, uh, I'm going to put Vashti away. King Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, was very well-known for just reacting off of impulses very, very quickly. And most of the time, that happened whenever he was drinking. Um, which... Side note, that's going to happen every time you mess with alcohol. Uh, that's just a side note. But that's what he was known for, really. And it happened, you see it play out multiple times in the book of Esther, that the king drinks, and then he makes a real quick decision, not a minor decision either, a fast decision that is a big decision, and he just goes with it. Not very smart. But this is what he did here. He caused King Vashti to come before him and a bunch of other males. And they've all been drinking. And she, he wanted her to come a certain way, which was wrong and immoral. She refused. Uh, at the end, though, women didn't have the same rights as men. And also, he was the king. So he had supreme authority. So he puts Vashti away because he was egged on by his fellow men. Uh, to basically divorce her because, after all, if you allow this woman to show up your authority, then we fear that all the other women will also follow suit. So, as the lead man, you need to set the example and uh, keep your woman in check. <laughs> That's basically the idea. Um I'm thankful that that's not how it works in the body of Christ. I'm thankful that in Christ, Scripture says that there's neither male nor female. All are in Christ. All are the same. All are equal in Christ. Amen. If you're a woman, it's a good time to say amen, brother Tan Pastor. Amen, brother Tan Pastor. In Christ, neither male nor female. They are not less than. One of the main thoughts for a, male, a Jewish male. Well, the woman's here to serve me. Uh, wrong. The woman is here. Your wife is here to serve Christ. And so are you. So uh, your wife will submit to you if you submit first to Christ. See there, you misunderstand the scripture if you just think that, okay, submit to me. That's what the scripture says. Wives, submit to your husband. I'm the husband. You're the wife. You're, you want to be obedient to the Lord. Submit. That's not, you, you're missing the, the first, the other part of the scripture there that says husbands love your wives as wife loved the church and gave himself. So good news, you get to die to yourself. 
first. <laughs> and as you die to yourself first, your wife will be happy to submit to you because you'll be submitted to Christ and the heart of a godly woman is the will of God and she wants Christ. Amen. Healthy Christian marriage, guess where it goes to? Calvary. Right. <laughs> you, you need Calvary. You need Christ. You need Calvary. You don't need counseling. You need Calvary. Yes. Come on. Yes. Because the problem, if you have a problem in your marriage, is sin, right? We all agreed at first that sin is the problem. So therefore, sin must. Okay, we'll just move on from the men and the women and get back to. Okay, verse 13. It says, Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 14 because it just fits together. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines, she came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she was called by name. So basically, verse 14 is just kind of breaking down the procedures, what would happen. The, uh, they would go one by one, in before the king, and then they would have spend time with the king, you know, whatever. And then they would go to the second house, and they didn't leave the second house unless the king called them by name. So one at a time, you go before the king. It's like a blind date. You're going to go in there. You present yourself to the king. And then after he sees all these women, which it could have been up to 400, because he picked, they were from all over the Persian Empire, which remember per, the Medes and the Persians had conquered Babylon. So it was rather large. So it could have been up to 400 women. What a massive show of a bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> or bachelorette, no bachelorette. That's basically the idea. Yeah. One at a time and then, and then one at a time. That was the whole idea. It's kind of weird, but that's what was happening. So the first 14 is just describing what can take place. Now we're going to look at verse 13. Though. Each maiden would go one by one and they had their choice of anything and everything that they wanted to clothe themselves with, dress themselves with in order that when they went before the king they would look their quote unquote best. Ladies, you remember your first date or whatever it was with your husband? look your best you gotta pick the best outfit you're gonna look the best each one of these women would have acted that way I want to look the best after all this is the king right. there not all of these women would have come from high-class riches a lot of them would have come from poverty because right. what was sought after right now in this instance was not riches or poor. You're going to be with the king, you're rich, no matter what. Right. It was beauty. Right. 
and other things that were looked at. So each one of these women were chose based off of that. So they would have come from every class that existed in that time. <coughs> if you were in poverty and you have a chance to marry a king, you're going to look your best. You're going to do everything that you can to look your best. The best version of you is what you would want to present to the king because you got one shot. It wasn't multiple days. You got one shot. Right. So they had their choice of anything and everything that they wanted to wear. Dress, jewelry, uh, ornamentation, even some of this, from what I've seen from some commentators, even if they wanted company. Like, and that, you know, certain royal company. Oh, well, I'm associated with such and such, so and so. It's really a pretty good picture of how a lot of Christians approach it today. The king is a type of God, the Father. And we're going to be we're going to go before God. And we want to present our best self before God. I'm associated. Well, when did you get saved, brother? Well, I'm Baptist. It would be like one of these women saying, well, I associate with the... Duke or whatever they call it. Of such and such territory. Well, I'm... Brother, I'm Pentecostal. Here I am coming before God. I associate with such and such. And then the dress, they could have chosen, cho chosen, chosen, chose anything that they wanted. You can choose what you want to present to God. You want to look your best? I, I want God to see the best me. So I'm going to present me with the greatest prayer life I have. It's not consistent all the time, but that's what I'm going to present because, you know, that's what God really wants. That's what is going to make him look favorable upon me. My prayer life, my dedication to church, my tithing, what I associate with, what I do not associate with, basically we're all summing up in what I do and do not do. My obedience to God. Well, are you perfectly obedient in every area? No, well, then you probably shouldn't use that. Because he won't be picking and choosing just the certain parts. It has to be all of it. Right, yeah. right. But yet, we present this to God at times. And we don't even realize it. That's a picture of what, what would have been happening here. But Esther goes about it differently. Verse 15 says, Now when the turn of Esther, 
the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the woman, appointed. <coughs> Haggai says, you know what? You know the king better, so you tell me what to wear. Kind of the idea. Haggai, or Haggai, is a type of the Holy Spirit. You know what he's looking for. Right. So I'm going to trust you. Right. I'm not going to trust my own understanding, what I think he wants. What You know what he wants. That's what Esther was doing here. You tell me what to wear. You tell me what to put on whenever I go before the king. That's what we should be like. You tell me what he's looking for. You know what he wants. You, you know what God's looking for from me. You know what's pleasing to God. And the Holy Spirit, we know, we, my dad said it before, and it's all throughout Scripture, the Spirit is going to point you to Christ right. and what Christ has done. <coughs> John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15 Basically, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will lead you to the person and work of Christ. He will not point you to anything other than Christ and the work completed at Calvary. Right. He will drive you to the cross to die to everything except simple faith in Christ and the work of the cross. Yeah. That's what the Spirit is going to do. The scripture there says he'll do nothing but speak of me. He will take that which is of me and show it to you. Yeah. He's going to take what Christ has done and reveal it to you. Right. Right. Because that's what God is pleased with. We can't please God except faith. Right. <laughs> we start off disqualified. Yeah. From the moment we are born, we are not pleasing to God because of the sin nature. Right. We're disqualified from the beginning. Right. So to attempt to please God any other way than the sacrifice That's right. will fail. And you'll be just like the other maidens. Right. Who came in and then had to depart. Right. Right. But not so with Esther. Right. Because the Holy Spirit said, put on Christ. Right. You have a robe of righteousness already. Yeah. Right. Put it on. That's what he's looking for. Right. Christ already provided it for you. Right. Put it on. Right. That's what he's looking for. Yes. He's looking for perfect righteousness. Right. And the only one that has it is Jesus. Yes. Right. Yes. 
Right. But he has it, and he provided it for you. So therefore, you have it. That's right. we, God's looking for righteousness. We know that. And he only accept perfect righteousness. Right. And the only way to get that righteousness is Christ. Right. Faith in Christ gets you that righteousness. Yes. Faith in what Christ has done Hallelujah. gives you that righteousness. It's imputed to you. Not based off of what you do or do not do, but what you believe. Right. <clears throat> what you place your faith in. You believe that Christ is who he said he was, and he did what he said he did, and that it is enough. Yes. You believe that, and you get the righteousness of God. Yes. What he requires, perfection. Outside of Christ, you cannot attain it. That's right. And you can't add to it That's right. because it's already perfect. Yes. You can't get more perfect. That's right. You already have perfection in Christ Hallelujah. Jesus. You have it. When yes. God looks at you because you are in Christ, you have been baptized into Christ. That the operation of God, the one that was made without hands, when you express faith in Jesus, God placed you into his son. He literally took you and hid you in Christ. That when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are hidden. You have been crucified. You do not exist. Good news. Yeah. Hallelujah. Good news. You do not exist. When God looks at Sarah, he sees Jesus. <coughs> he sees Jesus in all of his perfection. In his perfect law keeping, he sees Jesus. And that's what he's looking for. So if you're in Christ, you already have it, baby. Hallelujah. You have it. Stop laboring to get what you already have. Come on. Get off of the hamster wheel of religion. Yes. Yes. That says, do, 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 do not do, do not do, do not do. It's an endless cycle. And you'll never measure up because you can't. And God doesn't intend for you to measure up that way. He's already provided a way for you to measure up. And his name is Jesus. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Right. right. Take my work. Put down your work yes. and pick up my work. Yes. Because my work is already completed. You know how easy it is to plow a field that's already been plowed? <laughs> if the ground's broke up already, it's real easy to plow a field that's already been plowed. You got that in Christ. Yes. It's already been done. Yes. You just get to link up with Christ in relationship and just 
plow a field that's already been plowed. It's already done. Everything that you need in Christ is already done. You need righteousness. The scripture demands it. God doesn't slack off on the righteousness that he demands. That's right. He doesn't compromise. Sorry. God has not compromised on the righteousness that he demands. He demands perfection. And he still demands perfection. The way to arrive to that point is what we get mixed up. That God doesn't get mixed up. He knows you can't do it. That's right. The, the giving of the law was just to prove to us that you can't do it. Because we really don't think that we can. When it really boils down to it, we really don't think that we can't at all. That's right. We think that we can somewhat achieve, but God doesn't do somewhat. That's right. He knows that you can. He always knew that you can. He's not surprised when you don't and when you blow it. He's not surprised at all. He already knew. The problem is we don't know. Right. (coughs) He knows you're going to blow it. That you're going to bite off a big piece of stupid. (laughs) That you're going to do something... The other people may look at and say, there's no way that you can be saved. If you were truly saved and born again, you wouldn't do that, brother, sister. (coughs) There's no way. And they'll, just like the Pharisee, and the truth is there's a Pharisee in all of us. Just like the Pharisee, we take the person caught in the act of whatever sin it was, and we throw them down. Yeah. Right. You couldn't be sa- doing that. There's no way you're saved. You don't love God. The problem is, you don't have scripture to stand on, right. you Pharisee. And the only one that could have cast the stone, Jesus, yeah. didn't. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, why could he do that? Because he just looked over sin. No, no, no. Because he paid the price already. He was going to pay the price. Even that was done on credit. Right. Right. The law demanded that she be stoned. The law was kept in Christ because the penalty was still paid. It didn't go unpaid. You did not get away with sin. But Christ paid it for you. Right. It doesn't mean that he just overlooks sin. It's already been paid for. Right. In Jesus. Yes. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He doesn't just overlook it. It's just already been paid for. Amen. Her sin of adultery was real. Right. But he was going to pay for it. He himself paid for it. That he could say, go and sin no more. The law condemns you, but I'm greater. And I've paid for it. I've fulfilled the law. The law demands that you die. I'm going to fulfill it for you. Hallelujah. 
God. But we set out sometimes just like these other virgins. <clears throat> yeah. To present ourselves the best, the best form of ourself before God when we don't realize we already have the best. Yeah. Right. Why would you attempt to present yourself? When you can present Christ. Hallelujah. Which make no mistake about it. You can never be like Christ or better than Christ. But God's provided. He himself. He has provided. Right. <coughs> That's right. The sacrifice. He's provided what he desired. Right. For you. He's just saying take advantage of it right but we don't a lot of times we don't we just have to be honest and real with ourselves we don't and when we think that we do the lord allows a trial to come to test our faith to show us that our faith is truly mixed that it's in yes it is in christ and what he's done you cannot be saved unless you have faith in christ and what he's done So you, you have faith in Christ. You have it in the cross. The problem is it's mixed. You got faith in Christ and the cross, and you still have faith in you. And you have faith in other things. That you still think that certain things truly matter. And that they hold weight with God, and they don't. We, a lot of times for us, We'll, we have the robe of righteousness that we get from Christ, but we love to add ornamentation. Yeah. I'll just be honest. Yeah. All, all of us. We love to add ornamentation, and we think it makes it better, more appealing. Yeah. But it doesn't. It actually takes from. Right. Paul, Paul said that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. That's right. And you, you can you can expand it because really it could mean if righteousness, victory, grace, fruit of the spirit, favor, protection. Leading, guiding, anointing, calling, salvation, sanctification, glorification, etc., etc., etc. If that comes by the law of works, by the law or works of the law, or doing or not doing, then Christ died in vain. Yeah. If you can get any of that from God by something that you do or do not do, then Christ died in vain. If you think victory over sin in your life comes by doing or not doing, then Christ died in vain. If you think that the favor of God in your life comes by what you do or do not do, then Christ died in vain. And it's no longer of grace, because grace is a free gift. 
You do not work for it. You cannot work for the grace of God. You cannot work for the favor of God. You cannot work for the anointing of God. You cannot work for the leading and the guiding of God. You cannot work for the calling of God. You cannot work for salvation, sanctification, glorification. You cannot earn anything with God. The only thing that you can earn from God by merit is death. Because we all merit that. You can't take just the good things. God will not just take the good. If you want to go before him on the basis of good or doing and not doing, then you have to take all of it. Not just from when you got saved either. From your first breath to your last breath. <laughs> but if you go before God based off of what he has done, you win. Now, other people and religion and Pharisees say, oh, no way. No, 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 no. But who cares what they say? It matters what God says. Yeah, that's right. Come on, Amen. And God says, in order for me to give you grace and favor, this is how you have to come to me. You got to come to me in Christ and that alone. Yes. Esther did that. That's right. She came before the king and only what the Holy Spirit or Haggai said to put on. Right. Right. You, you can go before God in whatever you want. But the scripture tells us what he wants. Right. He wants his son. Right. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring you to that. So just put on Christ. Yeah. Right. Get in Christ. Stay in Christ. Let go of everything that you do or do not do and cling yes. <coughs> to Christ. Yes. Cling to the old rugged cross. Yes. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for his son, Jesus. Yes. That's what he's looking for. Go before him in that. And if you do, you'll receive the same thing that Esther received, which was favor and grace. Look at verse 17. And the king loved Esther above all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. Praise God. So that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. You go before God in Christ Jesus, then you'll find favor and grace. And you'll find that he'll even set a crown. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen, Brother Tan Pastor. Maybe I'm just the only one that really needs his favor and his grace. Because I just can't help but get happy knowing that I don't have to do Christ has already done. And I get to enter into his presence and he, as you will see later in the book of Esther, will stretch forth his scepter. Praise God. 
to me to give me access. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Not because of me, but Christ. I've been crucified in Christ. I've died. Not me, but Christ. Why is God pleased with Tanner? Because I'm in Christ. Yeah, but you sure don't look holy. I'm not. But in Christ, I am. In Christ, he's pleased with me. And when I blow it, the biggest test of my faith and your faith is when you blow it or when someone blows it in a major way. Not talking about, oh, you slipped up, said a cuss word, oh my goodness. I'm talking about blows it. Like Peter denied Christ, blows it. then your faith will really be tested. Do you believe that what Jesus did really is enough? Yes. If you don't, you'll get on the hamster wheel. That's right. And start running. Because I've got to do better. And I've got to make it up to God somehow, some way. No, you do not. Stop trying. Stop doing. Get off the hamster wheel and accept what he's already done. He's already paid for it. Believe it. That's the hardest thing. Walking by faith is hard. Because when I, when I, I still see me. I, I do not see Christ when I look at Tanner. I see me. And I see failure after failure and blowing it, and that's not right, and that's not right, and that's definitely not like Christ, and that looks more like the old man, and that definitely doesn't look like Jesus. Then I have to believe that Faith is the substance of things not seen. I can't see it with my eyes, but his word says that in Christ, that when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. I don't, but when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. And if I just believe that, I won't even attempt to get on the hamster wheel because I've already got everything that I need. Hallelujah. And that he's pleased with me. He's happy with me. He looks down upon me and he's smiling. He doesn't look at my life and loves me because he has to, but he's really frowning. It's not like that because he looks at me and he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. Thank God he doesn't see me when he looks at you. If your faith is in Christ, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see all of your failures, all of your faults, all of your idiosyncrasies. He sees his son. He doesn't see your unrighteousness. He sees Christ. The toughest thing is to just believe him. And just that yeah. is to just walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. Every day, you got to live like that. Yeah, but man, that's hard when you see the total opposite. 
And the only thing that you want to do on the inside is freak out. And your flesh wants to do. <coughs> because you want to be right with God. That's right. And you start hearing the whisper. I mean, I know that the scripture says that you're forgiven, but really you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So uh, is it really? Nah, 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 nah. The sad thing is that's not the enemy. That's your flesh. That's an enemy that you have with you constantly. That's just you. Because the truth is, and we don't like to hear it, and it sh it's a shot to our pride. The truth is, you really don't trust the work of God that he's provided for you. Right. That's the biggest thing. We just don't. We freak out. Because we do want God to be pleased with but if you just trust him, trust that what Jesus did is enough, and you begin to do this daily, and you begin to walk in it daily, <coughs> you'll begin to really understand through experience the passage of scripture that Peter says. <clears throat> that is joy unspeakable full of glory. Yeah. Not just moments of that. Not just instances of that. A lifestyle of that. Because yeah. you're so overjoyed with what you have in Christ. The, the load has been lifted. Yeah. The, the Holy Spirit now has free reign to move and operate in your heart and in your life. And that thing that you love to sense and feel when you're in His presence and Spirit of God is moving so strongly and you kind of just can we just be real sometimes you get that feeling that you're just invincible and you're floating on cloud nine because the spirit is moving so strong you can have that on a daily basis if your faith is in the right object in Christ Jesus there are no dry days if you experience a drought in a dry day it might just be because your faith is not in the right Because there is no drought in the promised land. Yeah, come on. And Christ is the promised land. Glory. And in the in Christ, the Holy Spirit has free reign to move. The river of life flows. And it never stops. Hallelujah. Glory. Faith and grace is God's way of operation. And that's it. Amen. Faith and grace. song uh, the song I, I'm not, no, not going to sing it because I'd be coughing like crazy <laughs> but the song is I will glory in the cross and it's really a, a perfect song to just sum up what I, what, what I feel like that the Lord has said this morning or 
attempted to, that I've attempted to share with you in a, probably a very poor way. Um, but you have time. If you want, you can come to the altar. You can spend time with the Lord. It's up to you. You can just praise him for what you have in Christ. There is no rules about what you do or do not have to do. Just let the Lord minister to you through the song, through the word. If you want to spend time with the Lord, you can. And just know that he's pleased with you because you're in Christ. And he sees his son. And that doesn't change even when you blow it. He's still pleased with you if you're in Christ and if your faith is in Christ. He's still just as pleased with you. Not any less and not any more. Amen. Amen.